0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a cloudy day here in the capital city as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. My name is Scott Chaloner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Katie Shelmerdine. Katie is co-director at Lighthouse Lane, a gift shop based in Skipton, North Yorkshire. Katie, a very warm welcome to you this morning and thank you ever so much for joining us on the programme
1: thank you for
0: having me. Real pleasure Katie. Now um, the purpose of this discussion is to establish first and foremost your take on leadership as a whole so if we explore that word leader to begin with I'm interested to understand what that word actually means to you. What should a leader be in your eyes?
1: Um, For me a leader needs to be uh, positive, inspirational, um, confident and assertive. Um, I guess the things that I try and sort of be for my staff as well. I've actually got two shops. So, um, we've got one shop in Skipton and one shop in Howard. Mm. Um, and yeah, I've got five members of staff. So that, that's what I hope to be for, for my staff.
0: So I suppose, even though it's quite a, a small business, there's still an element of people management that's involved there. So when, there is, when there he, is, yeah, yeah.
1: And I guess it's it's sort of adapting to to different people's needs as well. Obviously, people different people respond to different sales of leadership. But I think, on a whole, I think positivity is sort of the the huge thing that I would put forward because you you need that positivity to be able to feel secure and to be able to feel inspired.
0: Absolutely. I think that's a spot on uh, Katie. Of course, adaptability and flexibility are incredibly important, especially from a people management point of view, because as you say, no one approach is necessarily going to work for every single personality. There are different things that make people tick, different sort of motivations. And so it's, of course, about finding that more than anything. And Mm -hmm. I think that is especially relevant in the here and now, isn't it, with the emergence of COVID-19? Because as we say, people react to different things differently, let alone a crisis such as this. So sometimes people can be more motivated to just kind of carry on as they are, whereas others might need just that little bit of extra reassurance from a leadership perspective. How has it been yeah. from that point of view? Actually managing that during this time, because I could imagine that the COVID pandemic has thrown up some significant challenges for your business too.
1: It has absolutely, and, and I mean, I've seen just within my small team, I've seen sort of the the different responses that people have had to COVID-19, so we've got the people that are really quite resilient and just want to keep going and keep life that are as normal as possible. And then I've got other members of my team who are maybe a little bit more anxious and sort of need that reassurance and need to see that all the appropriate measures are put in place in order for them to feel safe and in order for the customers to feel safe as well. So it's it's trying to understand, I guess, and respect where people are coming from and try and respond to that in the best way possible.
0: And having to adapt to this new reality, has it actually taught you anything? Do you think this experience of crisis management?
1: Um, I guess it taught me to be a little bit more organised. It's also taught me that sort the, of the the real positive attitude does sort of see you through as well. Because I really think that if you can see the best in situations, then then that's what's going to happen. And I think it's really important. Just to, yeah, it's 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 a huge pandemic that's happened here, and you know it's had a negative impact on everybody. But if we can just accept what's going on and just try and push forward and do the best possible, then I think that that's the best way to deal with it. I think there's no point in trying to, you know, be negative about what's happening right now. We just need to to do our bit and to get on with it. And I, I really think that that's the, that's the best way to adapt to it. Mm,
0: exactly, it's just about taking ownership of the situation, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, and um, as an employee, I suppose that it's quite easy to look to those above you within a business to try and find that little bit of reassurance and inspiration to keep going in a time like this. But when you are sort of at the top of the business, being a director or a CEO, for example, where does someone like you actually look to for inspiration during a time like this, Katie?
1: Um, I guess I think the, the the couple of weeks before lockdown, personally, for me, were the most stressful and the most when I felt most in turmoil and at that point I tried not to expose myself to too many sort of outside sources. So I I did come off social media for a while, but I think I looked towards the the more, I looked towards the the prime minister's briefings definitely every day um, to try and understand more the facts rather than, because obviously everybody's Mm. got an opinion and you don't want to get clouded by that. So I think I just, I, I really focused on the facts that were coming out each day and tried not to worry too much about the opinions that everybody else had got. And I think that that really helped me.
0: Yeah, I think when it comes to guidance, especially, there's been a great deal of debate about just how clear they are. I mean, some people believe that, of course, they've been quite clear, but the waters have been muddied by more opinions out there in the the media and etc. But um, others have sort of felt that maybe the guidelines themselves haven't quite had the clarity that they were looking for. And from your point of view, when it comes to sort of COVID secure premises and businesses being able to reopen, have you been satisfied that you've known throughout this pandemic exactly what's been expected? expected of you and that continues to be the case
1: uh, i think I, I, we've got two shops that sit um, under two separate councils and i felt that one of the councils were was a lot more sort of clear and kind of on the ball than the other one and i guess we got the guidance from the one that was on the ball for the other shop and i think if we did not have that then it might have been a little bit muddied. i mean it's definitely taken sort of research on our behalf as well i, I don't think the information's necessarily come out there straight away but I know that, that one of the councils has been around with sort of the environmental health people and been kind of checking that we've done everything that we've needed to do whereas the other one we've, we've kind of felt like we've been in the dark a little bit and if we've not got the guidance from the other area then we might not have been as up to speed as quickly as we have been.
0: And do you think that some of the norms of the lockdown period will end up becoming permanent parts of the way that business operates in the UK?
1: So yeah, we've we've seen a boost in our um online sales, so we've we've tried to focus on that a little bit more. And I think that as sort of time progresses, obviously online is growing and growing, and I think more and more customers will look towards doing that. I think I think that the the sort of the situation has my customers more discerning as well, and they want to be shopping somewhere that's um, giving an experience and really playing on the customer service. and And I think that definitely we'll continue with that going
0: forward as well. Um, And again, that comes down to that adaptability and flexibility, doesn't it? Just sort of making the best of the situation in order to just keep going. And considering that experience that you've had of not just running a business, but also running a business through a crisis um, of this magnitude, if you could actually give some advice, Katie, to somebody who is maybe about to start their first day in a leading role within a business, what advice would you give them?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, um, Um... Stay positive, stay strong, um, stay flexible as well. Um, Look to your people and try and understand how you would like to be treated in that situation and try and do your best to treat them in that way as well and understand that everybody's different um, and everybody responds to different ways of being treated. And I think it's just trying to kind of get the best out of your people.
0: I think that's not only sound advice but also an incredibly important message because what the COVID-19 pandemic has really brought to the fore again is the discussion about mental health and well-being, hasn't it? When it comes yeah. to leadership, especially within business, how important do you think the mental health is, both in terms of looking after your own and also that of those people around you?
1: I think it's really important. We did regular check-ins with our staff Um during the, the lockdown so we did regular kind of emails regular zoom calls as well but i think it's also really important to encourage them to do the things that make them happy during lockdown because yes the are from the work and so that that's sort a of large part of the life has, has you know been shelved for the moment but i think it's really important to encourage the side kind of things that is important to them so for me it's um artwork and exercise and i think it's for other people it's it's trying to find that thing that really occupies your mind and improves um improves your mood as well and to focus on that and focus on the positivities and what you can do in that situation rather than think what's been taken away
0: mm, i think um you're exactly right uh, with that mentality for sure and uh if we think about now what the future might hold over the course of the uh, the next year then, uh, Katie, what do you envision for yourself and for Lighthouse Lane and what do you hope to achieve as we move through the pandemic and into the new normal and really begin to embrace the challenges that that's going to bring with it?
1: Um, Obviously, I think it's going to take time to to grow again and to get stronger. Um, We've been open now for, what is it, two weeks. So we opened... um. When non non essential shops were allowed to reopen again, and we've been we've been quite happy um, with the amount of customers that we've seen through the door. The people that have come through the door tend to be quite positive and quite courteous towards all the social distancing measures that we've obviously had to put in place. Um, so we're feeling pretty positive. We're, we're in areas that both do rely on tourism, so we have seen a drop in numbers. Um, but I feel that this the 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 whole situation has meant that. Most, a lot of people are kind of looking to their local area as well rather than the, the sort of the, the wider country so i think that there's a lot of support for small businesses that's what i felt um and i hope that that will continue kind of going forward but um yeah i'm, I'm definitely feeling positive um I think that the online side will definitely sort of help us and I think it's really important to have the two platforms right now. So we've got the high street and we've got the the online and I think that if customers have got that choice then they'll, they'll hopefully kind of keep coming back
0: Exactly. It's going to be a very challenging time for businesses as things do get back to normal because, of course, there is um, the um, sort of a huge recession that we are going to have to uh, recover from. But still, as long as business can continue to operate, then... We can expect, hopefully, quite a year quick recovery, especially in comparison to what we saw around about ten, twelve years ago. Um, it's a shame that we're just about out of time on the program today, Katie, because it's been a really insightful experience discussing some of these issues with you, and we could talk about it long into the afternoon, I'm sure. But considering that it has been a real pleasure from my point of view having you join us on the air today, I think it would actually be fantastic just to perhaps even catch up on the programme in um, the next few months just to see how the business is getting on at that point in time and just assess exactly what the new normal is looking like at that point. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, that sounds great. Thank
0: you. I think that would be fantastic, Katie, not just for myself, but also from a listener's perspective as well. Um, and until we do hopefully speak again in future, um, do of course take care and stay safe with all still going on because we're certainly not out of the woods with this situation yet, that is for sure.
1: we know, we know, not, but it's all fun and games and we've just got to, stay positive and keep doing what we do and we will all get there together, I think.
0: I think that's absolutely right. And there's and that's a fantastic message for all those tuning in to take away from this as well. And also um, a point to leave on uh, from myself, for all those listening, do continue to look after yourselves and stay home where you can and be sensible, because it really, really does make a difference in saving lives. Um, I was speaking there on today's programme to Katie Shelmerdine, co-director at Lighthouse Lane. Coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with Liz Field, the chief executive of the per- Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association, the trade body for firms who provide such services to both individuals and families. I hope that you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan relished the opportunity to speak with Liz. And all of that is coming up next.
2: I'm Jonathan White, and we're joined today by Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. What a great mouthful. Liz, thank you very much for coming on today.
3: No, thank you for inviting me.
2: No, not a problem. A complete pleasure. And I think uh, it would be a, a great place to start, if we may. There's maybe a little bit of background uh, for the listeners. Obviously, Pimfer does work in uh, uh, across the board these days, but of course it was only founded uh, uh, three years ago when, of course, MAPFA um, um, and uh, the WMA were merged.
3: That's right, yes. Um, I think it really was a, a reflection of of where the industry was going in terms of uh, the provision of financial advice and helping individuals with their um, personal financial futures that – we felt that it was necessary for the two bodies to merge together. Um, but both, well, certainly the Wealth Management Association and its predecessors have been around for nine, well, nearly
2: 30 years yes. now,
3: actually. But you're quite right. Um, as PIMFA, it's, it's been nearly three years now.
2: And the uh, probably a very wise move because uh, the the uh, uh, PIMFA has been going from strength to strength uh, since... Uh, what would you say at the moment uh, is are, are the priorities uh, for yourselves there
3: um i think there are a number of priorities i mean we represent a diverse group of um of businesses which all have one thing in common which is that they face the clients they they face the consumer um so whether that is face to face or whether that is um online uh, it's all about helping individuals to plan and save and invest um for themselves and for their families uh but we're going through uh, a number of of key challenges i mean um looking at a, a a macro level if you like um markets are a little turbulent um it's it's very challenging um to um kind of navigate the the uh, investment management world so uh, even more reason why you need a financial advisor and, uh, yes. and an investment management firm to help you um because it is quite a complex arena and that's not helped by the lack of financial education uh, more generally so um if you have that as a backdrop uh, and then politically you have what's going on um with post brexit uh, and where the rules are going to come from in future. All of that is still to be negotiated, um, so it, it's a whole melting pot of issues that uh, that our firms are trying to face.
2: Oh, without a doubt, I think uh, maybe Liz, there's quite a few understatements there in terms of the challenges that are yes. occurring <laughs> at the moment. But there's quite a lot to pick up uh, uh, on the on those points because uh, I, I think it's 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 a it's a unique time almost, Liz, isn't it, where there are a different set of challenges that advisors and individuals are uh, being confronted with from a lot of different angles. Um, and perhaps if we can start, let's start at the beginning, in fact, you bring up the issue of financial education. Yeah. Now, that's something I think uh, you can talk to anybody in the business and they'd agree with you on that front, Liz. We don't do it properly in this country. Where no. do you think, Liz, it should start from and how do we fix it?
3: Okay, so I think – I mean, the first thing to say is that there's a lot of fantastic effort that we see across the whole of the financial services sector, uh, our sector um, amongst that, where they they try and go into schools – um and provide financial education. You go onto any website um of some of our members and they've got some great educational material. Um, but there isn't a national framework that 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 wraps itself around the whole of the financial education efforts within our industry. And without that, um I think there there the the businesses are facing a lot of um, barriers when it comes to actually getting into schools. Um, I mean, financial education is part of the um, per, I think it's personal health and social education um, a piece of the curriculum, but there isn't an exam um, that's at the end of it. So when it comes to schools and and how they're being judged, it's on metrics such as. Um, exams and without an exam for financial education, um, I think, uh, it's, go- it's just, it's just going to keep coming up against the same barriers. Mm. Um, and financial education is not the same as maths. So uh, what we'd also mm. quite like to see is, is that we have more, um, kind of money type questions within the maths. Curriculum because that will also then bring it to life uh, for young people for uh, youngsters and you know school kids. It will bring it to life because it's about things that they have to deal with or you know that they they deal with on a day to day basis, which is money. So the more that we have that is populated in the curriculum that is about money. Um, the better, I think, because then we'll start to promote a culture of of savings and investments, which we so badly need in our in in in, in our yes. um, in our country.
2: Without a doubt, Liz, because again, you've hit the nail on the head. Because there's only so much that can be done without the involvement of the curriculum in schools. Yeah, uh, and you know, you can, as you have pointed out, very well. Uh, it, it, companies can try all they all they might, but it, it's difficult if it's not a, a joint effort. Uh, yeah. And I think as, um, uh, it, for example, uh, with with the new government we have, there have already been positive noises at the very least, whether they become actions is another <laughs> uh, thing entirely, regarding what you could consider a, full, a, a, a far more applied mathematics in, in a lot of... Uh, the system, but ty- time will tell, and that's something I think we could probably dedicate in the next hour to. Elizabeth. Yes, I think you're right. We probably <laughs> shouldn't. Um, now looking at and a couple of the points to pick up that you've already raised here, Liz. Uh, and it goes back to the word you've already said, which is uncertainty. Uh, it, it seemed as if the markets, investors, people, we've been in a state of limbo for the last three and a half years. Uh, we're talking, of course, three months after, two months after uh, a general election that resulted in a a large majority for the Conservative Party, and therefore at least we have now uh, left the European Union without without dragging you down the political rabbit hole here, uh, Liz. Is there a hope now that because of that clarity, we may start to see a far more s- s- far more certainty in the market? And what are your hopes for the next twelve months?
3: um i think i think that, that we've still got a little way to go because um whilst you know 31st of january came and went um you know we're now we're now in a negotiation period we're now in a transition period um and for for uk um savers and uh, and investors uh, in terms of where the rules are made there's still there's still not some clarity about that um you know we're we're still are uh, well we don't know yet whether we're still tied um or will be tied to the um european rulemaking um down the line that's still to be negotiated i mean we've always said that actually for for savers and investors we need stability in the markets and we need access to funds um however it, you know the, the majority of our of our firms look after uk savers um and therefore a, one of the positives we see is the ability to have a a rule book that makes sense for UK savers and investors and UK firms. Um, so there's an. We think that there's an opportunity there. With definitely without um, watering down regulation. So we're definitely not talking about less regulation. Yes. What we're talking about is smarter mm. regulation, which makes sense for firms and makes sense for clients. Um, and as we've got a very unique industry in terms of savings and investments. Um, um in Europe in Europe, England or U- the UK rather and and Ireland are unique amongst our European counterparties. So when you have a European rule book or a rule book that is set in Europe that doesn't bear any relation to the model of in- intermediation that we have here, that has caused us problems in the past, and we're hoping that we we will be able to affect that in the future with a local regulator and a local rule and a local rule maker. But we will see. That is still all part of the of the melting pot. So, whilst I'd like to be posit- positive <laughs> and, and optimistic about the market, <laughs> um, we've still got this period um, of uh, of negotiation, and uh, until we see where we go to with that. Uh, and, of course, you've got financial services and fisheries amongst it's the same two, piece, you know. <laughs>
2: famous fellows, aren't they?
3: Indeed, I mean, absolutely, um, absolutely. So we've still got to wait and see, I think.
2: It, absolutely. Um, and it will be an uh, interesting year, if nothing else. Um, yes. uh, now, you've you, you mentioned there, uh, at least, uh, the role of, uh, of course, regulators. I know uh, in the last month or so, obviously, uh, PINFA has... Uh, given its fair amount of critique to um, the FCA, um, are they at the moment doing their job correctly?
3: Um, I think part. I th- I don't envy the regulator one iota. Um, uh, I think if you look at the the number of people that they have in the supervisory team and the number of firms that they have to regulate, um, it, it, uh, it is not an enviable job um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we have been critical, not least of all because we are expecting um, better supervision to prevent firms from failing and certainly to prevent firms from failing in the spectacular way that they have uh, in the last few years which has impacted on the size of the financial services compensation scheme levy and this levy is paid for by by firms within the industry and our firms are a majority of small to medium sized firms and their bills have gone up Exponentially, our criticism is that you know we we don't object to having an FSCS levy um, or you know the lifeboat yes. funds to pay you know recompense to to consumers, uh, and, and our view is, has always been that the polluter pays. But the polluters have have long since folded mm. by the time mm. it comes to any payment, which means that good firms. Are paying for bad firms, so the system we believe is broken, um, and and I think that is about the regulatory perimeter. Um, you know what is it that the that the lifeboat fund should be protecting? The perimeter is too big, so that you know what is the nature of risk that all needs to be um, uh, redefined. We believe and recalibrated, which then enables you to determine well if that's what risk is then how do we protect it and how do we levy for it mm-hmm. um and that is all linked to better supervision so that is something we have been critical about um we're in the process of finalizing a paper uh which we um which we have positioned in a constructive manner which is these are some of the things that we believe FCA you should be looking at in your supervisory process, and we want to help you to do your job better
2: now i I know there 's no such thing as a a magic wand is and perhaps it will be putting you on the spot <laughs> but if let 's imagine let's let 's imagine you did have one just for the just for this afternoon perhaps, and you were able to change one thing about that uh, system, and perhaps i shouldn 't ask this because if your report isn 't out yet, you might want want to reveal something that 's in it um, but if you could. <laughs> Um, what would be your number one priority?
3: If we, if we were to, if I, were, my number one priority to to solve the system in terms of reform.
2: In terms of reform, what regulatory yeah, reform yes.
3: you mean? Um, I think. Oh goodness me! The one thing. Um, it is a bit of a mean I, question. Uh, it <laughs> is. Gosh. Yes. Wow. Um, I, I think it's about the regulatory perimeter. Sure. Um, I, I think let's have a look at the regulatory perimeter. Um, which is you know, gives some certainty to to clients about what is protected and what is not protected, which also then gives some assurity both to them and also to the advisors who have to advise those clients on what what's the pathway to success for them and what and and I think if there's some clarity around all of that, then everybody will be will be better off.
2: Now uh, b- I'm conscious of the time here, Liz. It's already catching up with us. So perhaps if we can take a, a, a little step back and uh, a, and look at um, uh, the operations of Pimfer again, it's what Pimfer do, does so well is its ability to build relationships with so many uh, different uh, organisations. Can that really, Liz, be underestimated? The importance of having those working relationships with with the departments and the organizations that you do have.
3: No, I don't I, I think it's absolutely fundamental um to any business actually, mm. but it's certainly something that that we have in the middle of the stick of rock that is Pimfa. Uh, I mean we talk about that you know the values that we have as an organization. We we are a small organization. Uh, And we can't do our job unless we work in partnership and collaboration with others. So relationship building um, and maintaining and creating a good foundation of relationships is absolutely fundamental to what we do.
2: Without a doubt. And I think that's the key point, isn't it, that that's so applicable to any realm, whether it's business or or politics or uh, any areas of life. And I think because of the time here, we we I, I must start to wrap up but um perhaps i can ask liz looking forward and i know the next twelve months is full of uncertainty what are uh, the plans Pimfer has for it nonetheless
3: um so i think our well our key priority this this next 12 months is 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 to be talking um much more um and we, we we have been lobbying um, a fair bit on this, but because of Brexit, um, our ability to actually kind of get into um, see the policymakers on both sides, I think, to have that dialogue has been a challenge. Um, but we're finding that that is changing. That, you know, they they want to hear from us. So I think our priority is around that regulatory perimeter. Um, and what does, what does regulation look like for, uh, for us moving forward? But at the same time, it's not just about the future of regulation, but it's also about the future of supervision, because the two of those go hand in hand. Um, so those, those two, um, are kind of what are, are the main the main areas over the course of this next year. Having said that, um, you know we have a manifesto that's got six, that's got six pillars in it, um, and regulation and supervision and the future of that is is just um, kind of is just one of those things. There are a whole host of another of other things promoting the sector. As a as a force for good and as an integral part of a of an individual's kit bag um, for financial and mental well being uh, is is another key strand of, of activity. So I think future regulation, future supervision, and then promoting the sector as an integral part of uh, of um, everybody's kit bag in building their personal financial futures.
2: Well, Liz, there might never be a, a more important year. Uh, has not been in a while that will determine the future of all of those things and perhaps never a year where so many people pay attention to what happens to Britain's fish stocks. Um, But it's been (laughs) an absolute pleasure discussing that leadership with you today. Uh, I hope very much we can sit down perhaps later this year uh, when there's a bit more clarity perhaps and talk through a few more things.
3: Thank you. I would love to do that. Thank you very much. Thank you.